This program is made possible entirely by listeners just like you. For details on signing up for a membership or making a one-time donation, please visit bestoftheleft.com. Now, welcome to the award-winning Best of the Left podcast with clips today from Bill Moyer's Journal, On the Media, Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me, The Young Turks, The Rachel Maddow Show, and The Daily Show with a bonus video clip for our iPhone app users, also from The Daily Show. It's been two weeks since the Supreme Court's ruling in the Citizens United case. That's the decision stating that when it comes to directly influencing our elections, corporations can spread their cash as freely as they wish. In truth, it's not as if they haven't already been throwing their financial weight around. Hundreds of millions of dollars are poured into lobbying, political action committees, and thinly veiled issue ads promoting or attacking candidates. Now the biggest concern is how corporations might use their newly acquired power to unleash wave after wave of ads for or against any politician right up until Election Day. Some members of Congress are not waiting to find out. They're scrambling for ways to counter the Supreme Court decision, especially its core assumptions that money is speech and corporations have the same rights as people when it comes to spending it. This week, Speaker Nancy Pelosi named a task force of House Democrats to fight back against the decision and determine what they can do, if anything, legislatively. I know we share. And Democrats in the House and Senate began hearings. We've seen firsthand the impact special interests like big oil and big banks and health insurance companies have had on the legislative process. Now, with this decision, already powerful corporations and unions will be able to further open their bank accounts, further drowning out the voices of everyday Americans in the political process. I can't imagine a greater threat to independent decision-making by this body than corporations implicitly or explicitly being able to say, if you don't follow my line, I'll single-handedly put enough resources into this contest to defeat you. <clears throat> but you Republicans, who for the most part were pleased with the court's decision, took issue with the Democrats' dire warnings. He who has the most money does not always win. Indeed, many times he who has the most money spends it stupidly and ends up helping the other side. Uh, <clears throat> just because someone has the right to speak does not mean that he or she will speak intelligently or effectively. It is obvious that many individuals, especially on the Democratic side, disagree with the Supreme Court's decision. But all of these points lead in one direction, toward the government deciding who can speak, who can't speak, and how much they can speak. That is exactly the position our founders rejected when crafting the First Amendment, and it is exactly the position the Supreme Court rejected in Citizens United. The impact of the Supreme Court's decision goes well beyond Congress and federal elections. Effectively tossed aside are laws in 24 states that either restrict or ban outright corporate spending in state and local elections. So lawmakers at state houses across the country are rushing to find alternatives. Hey, Tom Carter. How are you? Last week, in Annapolis, Maryland, a group of legislators proposed a package of reform. What's at stake here is the integrity of the democratic process. <coughs> the public is already justifiably very upset about how we go about doing our business, the influence of, of money and special interests. This opens the floodgates, the Supreme Court decision. You know, the last time I checked my copy of the Constitution, it begins 
we the people. We the people, not we the corporations. The reality is the only people who can take advantage of this Supreme Court decision are big businesses. The neighborhood grocery can't, the neighborhood gas station can't, the neighborhood doctor can't. This is about big, out-of-state, and in many cases foreign companies mm -hmm. that could come in here and try to buy our election process. So as uh, my distinguished colleagues have said... One of those Maryland legislators is Senator Jamie Raskin, who's also a professor of constitutional law. He's using that knowledge to help lawmakers figure out a way to respond to the Supreme Court, and as he says, contain the damage. When the Supreme Court made its decision, there was lots of public outrage, but then you started to hear from some people who were saying, well, don't corporations already run everything anyway? Um, and obviously corporations have a lot of influence, but under the Citizens United case, it has opened the floodgates to hundreds of millions or billions of dollars of corporate money flowing into our politics. Uh, that's a game changer. What's at stake, says Raskin, are laws that protect the environment, public health, worker safety, and economic justice. We see this lineup practically every day between what I think is a fairly clear public interest on one side and then a corporate special interest on the other side. The only question is, will we as legislators uh, have the courage to stand up for the public interest? But the potential enormity of the Supreme Court's decision and the corporate dollars it could unleash means that at the state and local level, any effort to fight back with legislative proposals could have little effect. Senator Raskin believes the only real solution is to change the United States Constitution itself. The Supreme Court has opened up a Pandora's box here, and we have to do whatever we can at the state level to try to contain the damage. But ultimately, I hope that we really would move to a constitutional amendment, just like we got a constitutional amendment to give us direct election of U.S. senators when the corporations were bribing state legislators to send their chosen few to Washington. I think now we have to stand up and say we're not going to let these uh, justices and uh, corporations roll all over us. Uh, the democracy belongs to the, we the people, and this is our opportunity to clarify that in the Constitution of the United States. It's a sentiment shared by some in Congress. A law won't fix this. We have to fix it in the Constitution. So today I'll introduce a constitutional amendment so that we the people can take back our elections and our democracy. This is not the People's House Incorporated. We are the people, it's our house, it's our Constitution, and it's our elections, and we plan to take it back from the United States Supreme Court. A constitutional amendment would overrule the Supreme Court and clearly spell out that free speech is a right of the people, not corporations. Getting there is hard. An amendment requires the approval of two-thirds of Congress and three-quarters of all the states. But proponents say there's enough anger smoldering across the country to ignite a grassroots movement, change the Constitution, and overturn the court's decision. Already underway is MoveToAmend.org. More than 55,000 people have signed its petition calling for a constitutional amendment. Another reform effort at FreeSpeechForPeople.org has more than 35,000 signatures, and organizers there have put together this video. Do you think corporations are people? No. 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 <laughs> Absolutely not. It's a different animal. They're not people. They don't have the same rights as people. The video ends with a plea from State Senator Raskin and Congresswoman Donna Edwards. The Supreme Court has had its say. Now it's our turn to take matters into our own hands, to enact a constitutional amendment that once and for all declares that 
Uh, we the people govern our elections and our campaigns, not we the corporation. Now is the time for us to put in motion a great popular movement to amend the Constitution to defend democracy against the champions of corporate plutocracy. Remember Citizens United? That was the controversial 5-4 to four Supreme Court decision back in January that drastically changed the rules for how corporations, unions, and nonprofits can spend money during an election. The high court decided that they may buy ads explicitly supporting a political candidate and that those ads may air at any point before an election. Supporters of the decision called it a victory for free speech. Opponents said it opened the door for corporations to decide elections. This week, the House passed H.R. 5175, or the Disclose Act, to counter the court's ruling. The bill forces corporations, unions, and nonprofits that use their funds for political ads to disclose the names of their top donors. But the Disclose Act has come under attack, not just from those who oppose it on principle, but because House Democrats agreed to exempt the National Rifle Association and some other large nonprofits from the requirement that they disclose the identities of their top donors. The Democrats agreed because if they didn't, the NRA threatened to kill the bill. Maryland Democrat Chris Van Hollen is the main author of the Disclose Act. He says despite the exemption for the NRA and others, the bill serves a crucial purpose. We believe voters have a right to know who is paying for the ads that they're watching, uh, and this bill would require lots of disclosure It also prohibits foreign-controlled corporations from spending any money to influence American political elections and prohibits large recipients of federal dollars like major federal contractors or big banks that receive taxpayer monies under TARP like AIG from taking that money and recycling it back into political advertising. How much of the bill is a response to the Supreme Court's decision on Citizen United? Well, the bill is a response to a very radical decision in Citizens United where the court overthrew decades of established law to find that corporations would be treated like individuals for the purpose of spending money on campaigns. Before that, corporations and unions were prohibited from spending money directly out of their general treasuries after the Supreme Court's decision they could all receive and spend unlimited amounts of corporate money in campaigns. They're barred from doing that under this bill. So now let's talk about the controversy, the exemption for the National Rifle Association. In what way is the NRA exempt and in what way isn't it? There's a provision that says if you have 500,000 or more dues-paying members, you don't have to do all the individual 
reporting under the bill. The exemption only involves naming the names of individual donors, and you didn't mention this. Would the head of any corporation or any public interest group who produces an ad have to come on at the end of it and say, my name is thus and such head of this corporation and I approve this ad, as now happens in uh, candidate ads? Yes, the organizations would have to identify themselves and the CEO or senior representative of that organization would have to stand by the ad. For all these reasons, the groups that have dedicated themselves to campaign finance reform and transparency, the League of Women Voters, a Common Cause, Public Citizen, Democracy 21, strongly endorsed the bill, even with the adjustments. Now, what we've read everywhere is that the NRA would have lobbied against this bill and killed it if this exemption had not been made. So what were they afraid of? They did not want to disclose those who made donations to their organizations. And the argument given by the large organizations with citizen members were, look, we're not going to fool anybody as to who we are. Whether you love us or hate us, the voter understands who the Sierra Club is and that they're an environmental group or the NRA, that they're a gun group. You know, even with this exemption, the NRA has publicly said it doesn't support the Disclose Act. It's just agreed not to publicly criticize the lawmakers that vote for the bill. Was it worth it, given all the flack that you've taken for these exemptions? Well, the fact of the matter is that this bill remains the strongest piece of transparency and public disclosure bill the Congress has ever passed. Do you think the NRA could have killed it? What we do know is that when we had legislation here to give the District of Columbia representative voting rights, they did. And the other groups opposed to this legislation would have liked nothing better than to see the NRA do their work in defeating this bill. Congressman, thank you very much. Thank you. Chris Van Hollen is a Democratic congressman from Maryland. The NRA took a lot of heat, mostly from conservatives, for agreeing to sit this one out in exchange for the exemption. Critics say the NRA should have used its lobbying power against the bill. The NRA declined to speak to us, but it has recorded this voicemail, which outlines its position on H.R. 5175. We'd like to set the record straight. We have never said we would support any version of this bill. The initial version of H.R. 5175 would have effectively put a gag order on the NRA during elections and threatened our members' right to privacy and freedom of association by forcing us to list our top donors on all election-related television, radio, and Internet ads and mailings. We refuse to let this Congress impose those unconstitutional restrictions on our association. So let's presuppose for a moment that you actually enjoyed this show. Now, if that's true, please consider supporting it with a $5 monthly membership. I actually quit my job as a climate activist to pursue this show full-time because this is where I felt like my talents could best be put to use and I could have the biggest impact on the world. But I really need your support to keep going. I produce 10 shows a month of fearless coverage on all the hot-button issues we face, maintaining a rock-solid schedule posting shows at least every third day. So if all that is worth 5 bucks a month or as little as $55, a year, a little discount for you, please consider signing up for a membership at bestoftheleft.com. Members even receive bonus audio and video content on top of the rest that doesn't make it into the final cut of the show. 
So please, again, check out the membership tab at bestoftheleft.com. Thanks so much for your support. Very good. Your next quote comes from White House Press Secretary Robert Gibbs. I think I did what is maybe uncommon in this town, and yesterday I opened my mouth and stated the obvious. Gibbs was apologizing, sort of, for saying what might happen in the fall elections. Ooh, that's a good one. Um, The Democrats might lose? Exactly right. And let me tell you something. His saying that made the Democrats in the House really mad at him. (laughs) Mr. Gibbs went on to infuriate Nancy Pelosi and the other congressional Democrats by saying other true but impolite things like, no, the dress doesn't make you look fat, your fat makes you look fat. (laughs) Here's the problem for the Democrats. They, they, They are in trouble for the fall. And the problem is, is that things are bad. And their only hope is to convince the voters that things would have been worse if the Republicans were in charge. So what they need is kind of an it's a wonderful life scenario. (laughs) They're they're staking their election in the hope that this frumpy, charming angel will descend to show all of America what life would have been like if Obama had never been born. Hello, movie house! Exactly. Hello, you wonderful old savings and loan scandal! Exactly. You know, they're walking around this horrible place, and, and the angry neighbor's like, this isn't America, it's Cheneyville! Don't you think I know where I live? <laughs> and then, you know, it's all restored, and Obama is back, and everything's great, and everybody's grateful. It's like, that's right, Zuzu. Every time a bell rings, a child gets indoctrinated into socialism. <laughs> Get me! I'm giving out tax breaks! We told you about crazy Republicans throughout the country, right? Well, we've got excellent video footage of one from Ohio today. Phil Davison is his name. He's uh, from Minerva, uh, Ohio, as you're about to see. He's uh, running for Stark County Treasurer. Now, he's trying to get the Republican bid for that seat, uh, and if he does, he promises an aggressive campaign, which you will definitely believe after watching this video. Here are some notes that I love in it, by the way, as you watch along. One, I love the way he circles back around to his notes because he can't remember what he was going to say. Two, I love the way he gesticulates with his hands and counts with his hands. Okay, number three, everything else. And after, at the end of the video, I'll tell you if he won or not. Okay, so let's start watching. My name is Phil Davison, and I am seeking our party's nomination for the position of Stark County Treasurer on November 10th. November of 2010, excuse me. In terms of my background, I am from the village of Minerva, where I am serving my 13th year as of elected service as a Minerva Council member. In terms of education, I have a bachelor's degree in sociology, a bachelor's degree in history, a master's degree in public administration, 
in a master's degree in communication. You got that right. <laughs> in terms of elections across Star County, I have represented our party twice on the county ballot in both the primary and the general elections. When I ran for Star County Clerk of Courts in 1996 and Star County Commissioner in 2000, and I will not apologize for my tone tonight. Good for you. I have been a Republican in times good, and I have been a Republican in times bad. <laughs> Go get him, man. Go get him, Phil. Albert Einstein issued one of my most favorite quotes in the history of the spoken word, and it is as follows. In the middle of opportunity, Oops. excuse me, in the middle of difficulty lies opportunity. I'm going to repeat that so I have clarity tonight. In the middle of difficulty lies opportunity. This is the opportunity we've been waiting for. The Star County Treasurer's Office is a mess. It is in dire need of structure and guidance. And now is the time to seize this opportunity with an aggressive campaign and an even more aggressive campaigner. That's you, buddy. If nominated tonight, I promise each and every person in this room, I will hit the ground running, come out swinging, and end up winning. <laughs> Let's send a message tonight to the people of Star County and to the people of the Star County Democratic Party. We're tired of business as usual. Drastic times require what? Drastic measures, yes! Who said that? Thank you! Drastic times require drastic measures! <laughs> Who said that? Who said that? <laughs> I love this guy, man. <laughs> I love this guy. Nobody's ever been this excited about Stark County treasurer position before. Did you see when he started talking about the county ballot? The county ballot! I've run twice! <laughs> when he lost track of the Einstein quote, I lost it. <laughs> In the middle of opportunity! Excuse me, hold on, wait. <laughs> I need clarity on this! Oh God, this guy's the best, man. Uh, and then, <laughs> and then he started out like Lord of the Rings, man. I am from the village of Minerva. Okay, he says he's going to be an aggressive campaigner. I believe him, man. This is one Republican I believe. But he ain't done yet. There's part two. Let's watch. Knowledge is power. Let's tap into this knowledge and use it as a tool to win the treasurer's office. Let's use this knowledge not only as a tool, but as a weapon. <laughs> we must win this election. If nominated tonight, I will win this election. And I'm gonna say that again so there's no miscommunication tonight. If nominated tonight, I win. Tell your friends, tell your neighbors, tell Randy Gonzalez. <laughs> I'm coming. Both barrels, guns loaded. I believe in the entities and the principles of the National Republican Party, the right. State of Ohio Republican Party, and the Stark County Republican Party. Good for you, man. Nobody uh, doesn't think you're coming uh, with both barrels, man. We see that. When he says he's coming, man, I believe him. 
look, when he did that, we could use it as a tool or as a weapon. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> this guy definitely played Dungeons and Dragons. And he's so proud that he went to communicate. He's got a master's in communication. I don't want any miscommunication! <laughs> and then, what might be my favorite line is just because just of the way he said, he said it. Tell Randy Gonzalez! I was thinking, who's poor Randy Gonzalez? <laughs> but he gonna hear about it. Randy gonna hear about it. <laughs> oh, Phil da Davison. Nicely done, man. Nicely done. I didn't think I was gonna have this much fun today. So many things that get me angry and so many things that get me mad. So many things that get me angry and I gotta say. So many things that get me angry and so many things that get me mad. So many things. tonight uh, with two enduring images of modern American conservative politics. The first one is George W. Bush climbing on board Marine One and getting choppered away from the White House for the very last time. That was, of course, the day of Barack Obama's presidential inauguration last January. Here's the other image. Uh, the Republican Party's next-in-line standard-bearer, John McCain, throwing in the towel on election night, acknowledging personal defeat for himself in that election and overall electoral defeat for the Republican Party. Those two images, President Bush leaving office and his would-be replacement, Senator McCain, becoming unable to replace him, uh, those two images left the Republican Party sort of where it's been for the last couple of years. Uh, leaderless and uh, from time to time a little rudderless, but very, very much out of power. A few months after the presidential election, a grand total of 20% of Americans identified themselves as Republicans. That's it, lowest in a generation. Now, if you're a Republican, if you're a conservative-minded person, if you find yourself frequently on the right side of the fence, how do you, how do you feel at that point? Well, you could feel demoralized or beaten down or hopeless. Or, more likely, because you're an optimist, you could feel like there's nowhere to go but up! We've got a party to rebuild! And that's exactly what we have seen happen over the last year and a half. It has been the greatest show on earth, or at least the greatest show in American politics. The right rebuilding itself post-Bush, post-McCain. And now we are far enough into the midterm election season. We're far enough into the next election that we are starting to have an answer to that question, to that question of what the American right looks like post-Bush and post-McCain. And the surprising thing about the answer is that the right has come back, undoubtedly, but they have come back without the Republican Party. With John Boehner, uh, the top Republican in the House, with Mitch McConnell, the top Republican in the Senate, with Michael Steele at the helm of the official Republican Party, conservatives have apparently decided to abandon that old thing and go rogue to do it on their own. Given the results of last night's primary elections, there have now been enough primaries, there's been enough political decision-making for the midterms on the right to make out a pretty clear pattern here. Republican Party establishment candidates are out. Conservative movement candidates are in. 
This was a trend that appeared even before last night. Earlier this year in Kentucky, of course, Republican establishment pick Trey Grayson was trounced by the much more conservative Rand Paul. In Nevada, Republican establishment pick Sue Loudon, the chickens for checkups lady, she was trounced by the more conservative Sharon Angle. In Florida, the Republican Party's original establishment pick, Charlie Crist, was essentially forced out of the Republican Party and into the independent column by the conservative candidate, Marco Rubio. The Republican Party makes its endorsement, they make their endorsement, the party gets behind its candidate, and then the conservative movement candidate beats the endorsed Republican Party candidate. It keeps happening over and over and over again. Last night it happened again in Colorado. The Republican establishment pick, Lieutenant Governor Jane Norton, was beaten by the more conservative movement candidate, Ken Buck. In Connecticut, the Republican establishment pick recruited to run for the seat by the Republican Senate Campaign Committee, Rob Simmons, he was ousted by wrestling executive Linda McMahon. Now, on the one hand, this means new blood on the Republican side, absolutely. If those, if, if those candidates win, it is a very different GOP in Washington come January than the folks they've got there now. On the other hand, it's kind of hard to imagine that these candidates are all going to make good general election candidates. When you look at them in aggregate, it's kind of amazing. Meet the Republican class of 2010. Would you have voted for the Civil Rights Act of 1964? I like the Civil Rights Act in the sense that it ended discrimination in all public um, uh, domains, and I'm all in favor of that. But? <laughs> you had to ask me the but. Um, I don't like the idea of telling private business owners. I abhor racism, but at the same time, I do believe in private ownership. What I don't like from the president's administration is this sort of, you know, I'll put my boot heel on the throat of BP. I think that sounds really un-American in his criticism of business. But this, this Congress keeps going the way it is. People are really looking toward those Second Amendment remedies. They're saying, my goodness, what can we do to turn this country around? And I'll tell you, the first thing we need to do is take Harry Reid out. We have put in so much entitlement into our government that we really have spoiled our citizenry and said, you don't want the jobs that are available. How do you feel about abortion? Are you for abortion, against abortion, if you're for it? And what instances? Would you allow for abortion? I am pro-life, and I'll answer the next question. Um, I, I don't believe in the exceptions of rape or incest. Right now, the political momentum in this country is undoubtedly on the Republican Party's side. 2010, in theory, should be a really awesome year for Republicans. They couldn't really ask for a better political climate in which to run. And so if you are a conservative activist, if you're ideologically motivated to try to move the country as far to the right as you can, then you look at a year like this. You look at a year in which the right has a ton of tailwind. You look at a year like this as an opportunity to get in all of your not electable in any normal year far-right candidates. I mean, you look at a guy like Ken Buck and you say, if not this year, when, Ken? And so conservatives are really going for it this year. They are rejecting all of the Republican Party's establishment picks. They are instead voting in candidates further to the right. Not only Sharon Angle and, uh, and Rand Paul, uh, not only these folks, but the folks who are still now being elected this late in the primary season. Guys like Ken Buck, who are so far to the right that if this isn't their year, then probably no year is. Without the mediating and moderating effect of a functioning governing party in Washington, deciding who the party's candidates are going to be, Republican primaries so far this year have been 
Woohoo! <laughs> Off the rails. Repeal the Civil Rights Act. Force women to have rapists' babies. Churches get to endorse candidates now. Woo! Conservatives have filled election ballots with all of these really extreme candidates. None of the high-profile midterm GOP candidacies, though, importantly, none of them were built by the Republican Party establishment. The conservative movement has essentially supplanted the Republican Party's role in choosing Republican candidates. And in so doing, they perhaps have inadvertently given new life to Democrats' chances in what, by all accounts, really ought to be a really red year. You can support this podcast at no additional cost yourself when you shop at Amazon through a special widget posted at bestoftheleft.com. You can use the widget to search for what you're looking for or simply click through and shop the site normally. Better yet, click through on the widget once and bookmark that page to use every single time you shop. By doing this, Amazon will donate around 7 or 8% of the cost of your order to support this show without adding a dime to your bill. It's very little effort on your part, but can make a huge difference to support the show. Check out the widget on the right side of bestoftheleft.com. Thanks so much for your support. In Arizona, apparently, uh, this is fairly well known that uh, parties have been doing dirty tricks against one another. Uh, and apparently one of the famous ones is that you get people from the other side to run to split the, the votes. Now, the New York Times in their story said that all the parties have done it before, though they gave no other instances of it. So I don't know if that's true or untrue. I do know what's happening right now. Guess which party's doing the dirty tricks? Of course! It's the Republicans! So now partly because they... It, that's what they do, and partly because the Democrats would be so scared. They're like, oh my God, a dirty trick. No way. No, 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 no. Bill O'Reilly will hit me. Right? Now, look, they shouldn't be doing dirty tricks, so I'm glad they're not doing it, but you, you know which party it was going to be. So who, wh what's happening here? Well, we've got a guy named by St uh, Steve May. He's a Republican operative there, and he's uh, also running for office himself, actually, and uh, he is um, got a unique plan. He's decided that he's going to grab these guys who are... Uh, in this part of town called Mill Avenue, they're apparently known as the Mill Rats, which is an unfortunate name, uh, and some of them are homeless. And since the Green Party doesn't have a lot of uh, money in that area, he's going to finance them getting on the Green Party ticket so they can split the vote with the Democrats and have the Republicans, like Steve May, win their elections. So he's collected a motley crew. There he is. There's Steve May talking. And there are the folks that are called the, quote, Mill Rats, who he's got running for the Green Party. Now, for example, one of them is Benjamin Percy. He's the guy in the front you see there, the kid. He's 20 years old. He's got a curious mohawk. And uh, he uh, says his campaign office is that Starbucks. And that he used to be homeless. And uh, he, he uh, runs a small business, which is him strumming his guitar on the street and uh, that he's planning to run for office and change the way things are. But once he starts giving a speech, which he does right there, for example, he starts talking about how we can uh, cure the deficit problems by installing solar panels everywhere. Steve May, standing behind him, says, and I love this, he whispers, focus, focus, focus. In other words, don't talk about solar panels, don't do any of that stuff. That, you're not going to solve the budget deficit that way, that sounds crazy. Just talk about how you're for the people, and you're a liberal, etc., so you'll trick some Democrats into voting for you. Or you'll trick some, trick some liberals or progressives into voting for you. When Steve May is asked about this, he has a very simple answer. Did I recruit candidates? Yes. <laughs> and they, they're like, okay, wait, did you recruit these particular candidates, the homeless guys and stuff? He's like... Yes. 
He says, but I don't control them. Except when he's standing behind them while they're giving their speech and saying, focus, focus, get back on topic, right? Other than that, no, he doesn't control them. Now, who are the other guys? Uh, one of them is a 53-year-old. He's known as Grandpa. His name is Anthony Gorshin, or Gushorn, I should say. There's Grandpa. He's on the Green Party. Take it. Come on. Okay. Uh, he uh, says that he is for um, God in the classroom. Fair enough. And he's against higher taxes. Why, Grandpa? What, how, how much taxes are you paying? I mean, get a load of the wonderful absurdity of the situation. Republicans recruit homeless people to campaign on lower taxes for the rich. I mean, can, can anything describe the current state of our politics better than that? Meanwhile, they siphon away votes from Democrats. They have another guy here, uh, last one, uh, Thomas Meadows. He's 27 years old. Uh, he's a, apparently a tarot card reader. And he has his trademark hat, which you see there, purple and green, the jester's hat. He is running for uh, state treasurer, though he admits he has less than $1 to his name. Okay, now look, this is, it, it gets to a point where it's a cruel joke, right? And so the plan is, ha ha, he he, let's sign up these people, put them on the Green Party, split the vote, and then the Republican wins, and then says to the homeless people, see you, wouldn't want to be you. Get, get! They rough talk them and run them off. Hey, thank you very much for playing along. Now, Democrats are saying, hey, this might violate some federal and state rules, and the Republicans are saying, bite. They'll say, they're saying basically, yeah, we're doing it, and we'll win, and after we win, you can cry about it later. And that's the state of our American politics. You wished me well, you couldn't tell that I've been crying over you, crying over you, then you said so. It's September, kids. Fall just around the corner, a certain Christmas in the air, and that can only mean one thing. Are you ready for some midterms? Oh my God, I broke the glass on the something. The 2010 Battle for the Potomac, two parties enter, one party leaves with a slight legislative majority, <laughs> allowing that party to finally either obstruct or be obstructed from carrying out any meaningful social change. Of course, the defending champions, the Democrats, had a great 2008 season undefeated in the House, took the Senate, captured the executive. How are they looking this year? Let's go to the analysts. Democrats are about to get crushed. Gonna get clobbered. A true tailspin. The Republicans are about to kick but a midterm inferno. Democrats may be cruising toward a November bruising. <laughs> Sorry, what was that last one there? Cruising towards a bruising? <laughs> I think you may be confusing the midterm Democrats with Kinnicky from Greece. 
course, there's only one man who could turn a possible Democratic Party extinction event into a mere electoral landslide. The President of the United States. But is he willing to roll up his sleeves and get the job? He's willing to roll up his sleeves! Yesterday, he came out to give his version of a rousing morale booster between recessions halftime speech. Would he go Coach Taylor? Quiet, inspirational route? So let's hear it one more time. Together. Clear eyes, full hearts. Let's go! Clear eyes, full hearts. <laughs> or, with democratic disaster looming, would Obama give it the full loja? You go out there, you tear your heads off, and you're down their necks. Now, now, now. I can understand how tearing off their heads would give you a competitive advantage. Down their necks. That's just poor. That's just poor sportsmanship. Which way would Barack Obama go? Today, I am announcing a new plan for rebuilding and modernizing America's roads and rails and runways for the long term. I want America to have the best infrastructure in the world. Oh no, he didn't. No. He went $50 billion infrastructure Oprah Angel Network on their ass. You get a hydroelectric dam. You get a hydroelectric dam. You get some type of sewage treatment plant. You get an interchange that had three lanes but will widen to four, yet somehow remain just as crowded. Yes! Wait a minute. Billion dollar infrastructure? Didn't we do this already? Through the Recovery Act, we will be investing $28 billion in our highways. Money that every one of our 50 states can start using immediately to put people back to work. It's what we're doing once more, by building a 21st century infrastructure that will make America's economy stronger and America's people safer. That's the purpose of our recovery plan. That's the cause of my presidency. No, yeah, okay. Uh, it may be the cause, but I guess what we're wondering is, what's the effect? <laughs> because for another $50 billion, shouldn't we have like a 22nd century infrastructure by this point? <laughs> where the bridges and tunnels just come and pick us up at our houses? <laughs> All right, but if Polk don't work, what about some repartee? Almost every Republican in Congress says no. Even on things we usually agree on, they say no. If I said the sky was blue, they say no. If I said fish live in the sea, they'd say no. Well, they're, to be fair, they're, they're not being obstructionist. They're just terrible at science. <laughs> The Democrats have more than policies, more than President Obama's morale speeches, they have an electoral strategy that's going to knock the Republicans' socks off. The Democrats are going to do what's called triage. It's sort of like when you have a, a bunch of people from a, an accident brought into the emergency room, you've got to do priorities. They're not going to put money into races which are essentially uh, lost causes. They have to make a clear-eyed assessment of what's winnable, not winnable. Wow, so the Democrats are going to have to make some tough calls, I guess, forming some type of uh, panel to, I guess, pull the plug, so to speak, on candidates who are, oh my God. <laughs> the death panels are real! 
put the, that was somewhat spooky. But the Democrats' problem isn't their ideas or their desperate strategies. It's really that no matter what they do, it doesn't matter. Case in point, Arizona, where Republican Governor Jan Brewer met her Democratic opponent for a televised debate. Let's watch her opening statement. Thank you all for watching us tonight. I have uh, done so much, and I just cannot believe that we have changed everything since I become your governor in the last 600 days. Arizona has been brought back from its abyss. We have cut the budget, we have balanced the budget, and we are moving forward. We have done everything that we could possibly do. We have um, did what was right for Arizona. Hey, uh, Governor Brewer. Miss Teen South Carolina called. She wants her U.S. Americans and the Iraq and such performance style and such South Africa back. <laughs> Governor Brewer, what happened? Did a Mexican drug cartel sneak across the border and kidnap your tongue? Oh, wait! I know what happened. Her brain fart lasted the exact amount of time it takes the guy from Quantum Leap to realize that he's in a new body. <laughs> That's what's going on here. Let's go to the tape and see it. Where am I? My notepad says governor of Arizona. <laughs> I'm the governor of Arizona? We have, um say something did what was right for arizona nailed it knew it following the debate governor brewer following the debate governor brewer said she would no longer be participating in these debates i can only assume because they're a charade and give no true sense of a candidate she's probably better one-on-one -on -one with reporters like right after the debate when they questioned her about her evidenceless claim that illegal immigrants were leaving decapitated bodies in the Arizona desert. Answer the question. Come about on. the headless bodies. What, why won't you recant that? Do you still believe that? Come on, Governor. Okay, thank you. All right, Governor, what do you mean? Oh, pretty please. I wonder who is responsible for those headless bodies. You go out there, you tear that heads off, and you down the next. Lose ya! So, why exactly do I bring up a Republican governor's disastrous debate appearance and comically feckless efforts at ignoring questions about earlier ball crazy statements that she had brought up in the first place as evidence of the difficulties Democratic candidates are facing? Because here is Crazy Jan Brewer's opponent. And a week after the debate, she is still crushing the <laughs> out of him. <laughs> Alvin Green's got to be thinking, but that's my strategy. The lunatic is on the grass. The lunatic is on the grass. Hello, Jay. This is Kendall Willie from Roswell, New Mexico. I've been listening to your podcast for a couple of years so far on iTunes, but it wasn't until earlier this year that I decided to become a member, 
and start paying for your for your very good service. In fact, I'm paying $10 a month instead of 5 and I think it's worth more than that. You've introduced me to shows and podcasts I would never have heard of otherwise, like the show and Citizens Radio. I appreciate your work, and I want to say thank you. Bye. Political season is upon us. Uh, Barack Obama's out there campaigning for Democrats. He's obviously not up for re-election, but uh, in the entire House is, and a third of the Senate is. So he's got to go finally make his case. And he is. It's back to, uh, you know, campaign season, and it's a little refreshing. You know what? Here, let's share some clips for you guys. Uh, look at clip number one here where he goes after the Republicans. But there are some folks in Washington who see things differently. You know, you know, you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> when it comes to just about everything we've done to strengthen our middle class, to rebuild our economy, almost every Republican in Congress says no. Even on things we usually agree on, they say no. If I said the sky was blue, they say no. If I said fish live in the sea, they'd say no. <laughs> they just think it's better to score political points before an election than to solve problems. So they said no to help for small businesses, even when the small businesses said we desperately need this. This used to be their key constituency, they said. They said no. No to middle class tax cuts. They say they're for tax cuts. I say, okay, let's give tax cuts to the middle class. No. No to clean energy jobs. No to making college more affordable. No to reforming Wall Street. They're saying right now, no to cutting more taxes for small business owners and helping them get financing. I, you, you know, I, I heard somebody out here was, was, was yelling, yes, we can. Remember that was our slogan? Their slogan is, no, we can't. No, 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 no. More accurately, I believe their slogan is, Hell no, you can't! So, just to be clear on the record. So look, he's going after the Republicans, finally, thank God, okay, making his own case. The one part I didn't like was he said, they're trying to score political points before an election. No, you're trying to score political points before an election. They've been trying to score political points the entire two years. That's the difference. And that's why the Democratic Party is getting its ass handed to them in the latest polls. Because you just got started a couple of days ago. They've been going for two years. Got all oh, the Democrats, they're the worst, they're the worst, they're the worst. We vote no, no, no. They're killing your jobs. They're not helping the economy. They're trying to raise taxes. They're the worst, worst, worst. Until people start to believe it. And now you guys started a couple of days ago and you think you're going to catch up. Well, good luck to you. you know, and I mean that because I think the alternative of Republicans winning is disastrous. Right? I wish you'd been doing this a hell of a lot longer. Why? Is it because I like cheap political rhetoric? No. Because if you have a one-sided argument, the American people are not going to get an accurate view of where the country is. And it's not cheap political points to say, look, here's what the Democrats have accomplished, here's what the Republicans have accomplished. You know, he goes to his 
cars in the ditch analogy. Well, you should have been saying that for two years. Say, look, I, I, they put me in the ditch. They put me in the ditch. They put me in the ditch. I'm trying to get out. Help me get out. All right, let's work together to get out. But you know who put us in this economic ditch? The Republicans did. Now, he's saying it now. God bless. He should have been saying it for two straight years. He played patty cakes. And now I got polls showing the Democrats in the House could get wiped off the board. Okay? So, but he's going in the right direction here. I love the random ones. The sky is blue. That's good. That's what I say all the time. Do fish live in the sea? I hadn't heard that one before. <laughs> but that's a good one. That's a good one. I like that because I believe they do. Although the Republicans would probably differ. And do you notice Obama, as he does these speeches, has a little more, you know what I'm saying, in his voice, uh, you know what I'm talking about? Like in his interview with ABC, etc., he's not going to say, you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> now that he's talking to people, all of a sudden, you know, he's rolled up the sleeves and he's one of the folks. <laughs> Politicians, man, they killed me. All right, so let's, let's show you the other part of what he was saying. Clip number two. That's been at the heart of what we've been doing over these last 20 months. Building our economy on a new foundation so that our middle class doesn't just survive this crisis, I want it to thrive. I want it to be stronger than it was before. And, and over the last two years, that's meant taking on some powerful interests. Some powerful interests who have been dominating the agenda in Washington for a very long time, and they're not always happy with me. No, sometimes they are. They talk about me like a dog. That's not in my prepared remarks, it's just, but it's true. You know, that's why, that's why we passed financial reform. To provide new accountability and tough oversight of Wall Street. <laughs> you know, even as he's getting tougher, he can't help but hedge himself, right? He says, they attack me like a dog. I said, wow, that's strong language. Nicely done, right? And I had seen that he had said that in a headline before I started watching the speech. And then after he says it, he can't help himself. He says, oh, that's not in my prepared remarks. Because he knows Fox News and said are going to attack him. So to say, hey, look, I didn't plan to say this. It just kind of slipped out. Uh, but it's true. But it's true. If you're going to hit him, just go ahead and hit him, man. All right. But anyway, look. Positive, positive. We're making progress. Going after the Republicans a little bit. Is two months going to be enough to turn this thing around so that people remember? Oh yeah, right. Wait, wait a minute. Who caused the collapse in the first place? I'm telling you, this ain't about politics. It's about reality. The Republicans caused the collapse. So do you want them back in charge? I don't. Okay. And you know I got problems with Obama. <laughs> but uh, why do I want the guy who uh, started the? Uh, the collapse in the first place. And so the question is now, uh, is this uh, Republican Party any different than the Republicans that caused the collapse, the Bush uh, years? <laughs> I think the answer is hell no, they're not any different. But you know what? When asked, 58% of Americans said, oh yeah, they're different. This the Republican Party is different than the one that was there two years ago that caused the collapse. Based on what? Based on what? 58%, now see, that's what I'm talking about. The Democrats never made their case. Nobody should think that. 8% of the country should think that. Because even the Republicans say, oh yeah, our ideas are the same exact damn ideas. Tax cuts for the rich. And no to anything Democrats say. That's their ideas. They fess up to it.
So why don't you let the American people know that? I, I'm worried it might be too late. When I was growing up in California, I played a lot of sports. I know, duh, insert gay joke here. Uh, but, but there is a political point, so hold on. Um, I started off as a very young kid playing lots of sports, including basketball and soccer, and I'm, I'm not proud of this, but I was sort of a rough player. Um, I think I compensated for not being a great player by having greatly sharp elbows. I probably fouled out of more high school basketball games than I managed to stay in. But there was one rule I always remembered, one rule we all remembered, because it's just about the first thing that you learn in kids' sports. After the game, when you're done trying to knock the bejesus out of each other while your parents cringe, you're supposed to line up and shake hands. You're supposed to shake hands and say, good game, and wish your opponent well. That's the way it's supposed to go. That's the way it's supposed to go in kids' sports and in adult sports and in life generally, especially the parts of life that are often really analogous to sports, things like electoral politics. But apparently this year, a lot of candidates on one side of the aisle were hiding out in the minivan when their coaches were trying to teach them the whole shake hands sportsmanship lesson. A surprising number of Republicans who have lost in primary elections this year are refusing to go along with the campaign version of shaking hands the dreaded unity rally, where all the candidates from the same party endorse whoever won the primary so the whole party will be unified for the general election. Last week we reported that after Senator John McCain beat J.D. Hayworth in Arizona's Republican primary, primary for Senate, Mr. Hayworth not only did not endorse Senator McCain, he did not show up at the supposed unity rally. Then Senator McCain's people kept attacking J.D. Hayworth at that supposedly unifying event. Same deal happened in Florida, where Rick Scott beat Bill McCollum in the Republican primary for governor. Bill McCollum not only did not endorse Rick Scott, he told reporters he still thought that Mr. Scott was dishonest. In Florida, they just canceled the unity rally rather than put on a sham one. In Nevada, after Sue Loudon, the Chickens for Checkups lady, lost the Republican primary for Senate there to Sharon Engel, Ms. Loudon refused to endorse Ms. Engel, and she skipped the unity event there as well. After we reported those stories last week, the website Think Progress found a bunch of other examples of the same phenomenon. In Washington's Senate primary, the defeated Tea Party Republican refusing to endorse the Republican nominee. In Missouri, the Tea Party candidate refusing to endorse the Republican who won the Senate primary. It was either no endorsement or skipping the unity rally for losing Republican candidates for Congress in South Carolina, Washington, Pennsylvania, Indiana, and Kansas. Also in the governor's races in Iowa and in South Carolina. It turns out that what we have spotted is not just a trend, it is almost the new normal. Tea Party favorite Clint Didier lost the Republican Senate primary in Washington to Dino Rossi. Didier is still withholding his endorsement. Now he tells the Snohomish County Herald, quote, I want Dino to win in the worst way. It's not that I wouldn't endorse him, I will endorse him, but he has to try and reach out to my voters. Didier also insists that Mr. Rossi adopt Mr. Didier's positions. Because, hey, when you want your opponent to win in the worst possible way, you should first saddle him with your losing agenda that couldn't even get you through the primary. 
But at least Mr. Didier is offing to shake hands if he gets what he wants. In Alaska, soon-to-be former Senator Lisa Murkowski has decided that not only is she not going to shake hands, she's not even going to quit playing. Lisa Murkowski lost in the Republican primary to a Tea Party-backed candidate named Joe Miller. Lisa Murkowski pointedly did not endorse Mr. Miller. Now, Senator Murkowski has told the Associated Press that despite losing that primary, she is not a quitter and that she is, quote, still in this game. It appears that Senator Murkowski is testing the idea of running against Joe Miller again, this time perhaps on the state's Libertarian Party line. Supporters of Senator Murkowski reportedly met with officials from Alaska's Libertarian Party over the weekend to ask about the possibility of her becoming the Libertarian candidate. The Libertarian chairman later telling the Anchorage paper that Senator Murkowski might as well try to climb Mount McKinley. Get out the ice axes. The AP now reporting that Alaska's current libertarian candidate, David Hasse, sat down today with Senator Murkowski to talk things over. Mr. Hasse sounds like he may be open to giving up his spot on the ballot. If, he told the Alaska Dispatch, Alaska's Republican senior senator essentially agrees to become its libertarian senior senator, quote, with sincerity, he said, and for real. Trying to understand what that might mean to Mr. Hasse, I spent some quality time today with his campaign website, which is davidforalaska.com. Honestly, I'm still not sure exactly what a Lisa Murkowski conversion to for real libertarianism might mean for David Hasse. I can tell you that Mr. Hasse says on his website that he has, quote, hunted caribou and observed their determination. We will all be observing David for Alaska's determination to stay in this race in the days ahead, as well as the Beltway Media's determination to not report on all these major Republican candidates openly hating on each other eight weeks before the election, despite all the evidence that they are, since that sort of story spoils the fact-free election year narrative about how great things are going this year for the unified On the March GOP. Michael calling from Glen Burnie, Maryland. First off, I just wanted to say uh, thanks for such a great show. I've really enjoyed listening it, listening to it these uh, this past month or so since I found it, and uh, it's really kept me up to breast since I don't ha- or kept me abreast rather of uh, of some of the liberal commentary that I've missed since I don't have cable now. So I really do appreciate that. Uh, just wanted to call quickly just to talk about two things. One, the uh, the Rachel Maddow story from the recent episode about uh, the economics. Uh, just first off, wow, about grinding up roads into gravel so that they can save money on maintenance. I just, I cannot imagine why that would be a good idea. I guess it's supposed to depend, suppose it depends on the road. Uh, but secondly, I also want to talk about net neutrality at Google, uh, with, uh, with regards to something I haven't heard anyone mention before except for, uh, my brother-in-law mentioned that there is actually a, an issue with 4G that might might explain why Google is being so, uh, uh, Google and Verizon are trying to protect the wireless networks as opposed to the wired networks. And that's that uh, 4G, as, as I'm told, actually does not differentiate between voice and data. It's both bound together. So in essence, the idea, the idea that I heard is that 
limiting the 4G or limiting uh, or how they can manage their traffic would actually impede the separation of voice from data and that and cause untold problems. Uh, and then add on to that the fact that it seems like uh, what they were saying was that they were hoping that, uh, or they, they suspected that adding regulations to wireless networks before knowing what that environment is going to be like could pre, you know, uh, could constrain things before uh, we even know what we're dealing with and, and call, you know, stop innovation rather than uh, encourage it. Well, at any rate, that's my comments. Thanks again for the show, and uh, maybe I'll be hearing myself with uh, your voice proceeding and following. Take care. Bye. Hi, Jay. This is Valentina from Miami, Florida. Um, in today's show, you were talking about immigration and anchor babies, quote-unquote. Um, and, you know, it was an awesome show, like all your shows. But there's one thing you didn't mention. Our immigration problem involves so much more than just Mexicans. It's Colombians, Argentinians, Peruvians, so many people from so many nations that it's a bigger picture than just to you know, round them all up and call them Mexicans. It's all so many circumstances other than just crossing the border. And people come in through airports with visas and just decide to stay for whatever reasons they may have. Um, I know because I am one of them. I have been here since I was seven years old. I went to school. I had a 4.3 GPA. I had a 1450 on my SAT, and yet I'm an illegal alien, as people are so fond of calling me these days. And I scrub thousands for a living, and it's okay with me. I make a work. It wasn't my decision. It was a decision made for me, and like me, there were so many million of people. And it's sad to see that we are being deprived of the very thing that pilgrims and Puritans came here looking for, which was freedom and an opportunity of a better life. Um, it's awesome to see people like you and to hear people speak their minds and acknowledge the role that we're playing in this great nation. I have adopted this nation as my own. This is the only nation I know. This is my my country. I might not have a green card to be, uh, quote-unquote, an American, but I am an American at heart. I speak the language, obviously. <laughs> I have great interest in the history and the culture and everything. Sometimes I see people that just don't care. And it makes me mad, and it makes me sad to see that they're wasting away their lives. But all I want is an opportunity. Like I said, like me, there are millions. And thank you, and thank people like you for supporting us and trying to help us. So, love you, Jay. You have the best show out there. Bye. Thanks for listening, everyone, and thanks, of course, to everyone who called in. If you want to call and leave a message yourself to be played on the show, the number to dial is 206-202-3410. It doesn't spell anything at all uh, as far as I know, so don't bother trying to figure that out. I actually just want to make a quick comment today uh, on the phone line itself and, you know, playing uh, messages on the show. I said uh, right after I started this whole thing, that I would love to hear, you know, feedback from you guys on what's working, what's not working. Um, do you like it? Do you hate it? That sort of thing. And so I, I've been both surprised at how many calls I've been getting. I'm, so I'm really excited that you guys seem to like it. Enough people are calling that it's uh, becoming a regular feature. So I love that. Keep the calls coming in. Uh, but I've also been surprised at how I've received almost zero feedback on uh, 
on how it sounds, you know, to, to be on the receiving end, you know, if it's good or if it's bad or whatever. So my only assumption is it's exactly tolerable. It's, it's not so awesome that people have felt uh, compelled to write in and say that it's awesome. And it's also not irritating enough to make anybody, uh, you know, beg me to stop. So, uh, you know, so I'll, I'll take that as a win. And, you know, so the only thing I wanted to say uh, about it exactly is um, the, the one thing I really expected to get a comment about that I have not gotten a single comment on is the music that I play underneath the voicemail calls. And, you know, because when I decided to, to start playing voicemails, I thought, okay, so I got to come up with some music for it because I, I wanted to have different music than the regular theme music that plays under me talking. And so what am I going to do? And I thought of it as a pure stroke of genius when I came up with the, with the few songs that I use, the, uh, the old ragtime hits, and, um, and, then, and then the ridiculous one. I don't even know what genre you would say it's from. It's called Spanish Flea is, was the second song used today. And, um, and I just want to say my opinion on those is that they are hilarious. Um, you know, whenever I start putting the show together and I am editing the voicemails at the end, when and I add that music, I just start to laugh and laugh and laugh. I just can't get enough of it. Now, on to something a, a little more relevant. I actually have a question for you guys. I would love for you to call in if you have an opinion on this. Uh, I would love to hear people's opinion on the upcoming elections if you have an opinion on what is going to happen other than this. The Democrats are going to lose. And they're going to lose because the Democratic base is demoralized, because the Democrats in power are spineless and didn't actually enact uh, Democratic policies. That's the totally standard line. That's the, you know, big progressive line of, you know, really serious progressives and liberals like us who, uh, you know, don't care so much about the politicians, don't care so much about the party, care much more about uh, policies. We've seen, uh, you know, the policies that we care about raised to consciousness and then really, really dumbed down to a level that they're barely recognizable as what we were originally striving for. They declare victory and the people who aren't paying attention maybe are tricked by that. We, of course, are not tricked by it and so are pretty much, uh, you know, unexcited by the midterm elections. So that's the standard line. If you think something other than that, I would love to hear it because I haven't heard much other than that. So if you would like to call in, leave your opinion, the number again, 206-202-3410. So that will about do it for the day. I just want to thank a couple of members before I go. Ginger S signed up on June 1st, signed up for a full year in advance. Huge thanks to Ginger and Kelly G also signed up uh, on July 20th. And, uh, and signed up for a monthly membership, easy, five bucks a month, totally doable for anyone out there, uh, and has stuck with the show ever since then. So huge thanks to Kelly and Ginger. You guys are the backbone of the show that make it possible. I couldn't possibly do uh, 10 episodes a month without you guys um, or anywhere close to that. It'd be less than half of that in, in all likelihood. So, uh, so huge thanks to all the members who make the show possible. I'm sure you have a warm, fuzzy feeling that helps you go to bed every night, and I just couldn't appreciate it anymore. So, of course, everyone can help support the show in the simplest way possible. Just keep telling your friends about it. This is a totally word-of-mouth show. No advertising budget here. 
To stay connected online and, of course, help spread the word online, join up with us on Facebook and Twitter. For details on the show itself, including links to all the sources and music used in this and every episode, all that is always listed in the show notes on the blog. So coming to you from far outside the conventional wisdom of Washington, D.C., my name is Jay, and this has been the Best of the Left podcast coming to you 10 times a month. As I say, thanks entirely to the members and donors to the show from bestoftheleft.com. Fine, fine, black and white about a picture that wasn't right Pitch burning on a shining sheet The only maker that you want to be A dying man in a living room Whose shadow bases the floor